Hi Juan. Hi Adam. Nice to meet you. Thanks is for the invitation. Is it pronounced perfectly, Juan? Juan, yes, perfectly. Yes. Juan, very good. Um, now, what was your first computer? Oh, I knew you were going to ask this. <laughs> uh, my first computer, actually, uh, it was when, when I was very little, um, maybe seven years old, something like that. I mm-hmm. used it, my father's computer. So my father had this computer for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used it time to time just to, you know, for playing video games. It was a... An 8088 uh, processor. It's an IBM clone machine at that time. Yeah. Did it have a name or was it just an you know, IBM clone? Yeah, I seen. So I'm from Canary Islands, south of Europe, right? Wow. And there was a was a company in there that was actually buying these motherboards and they basically putting everything together in one machine. It was a local company that put these clones together. So, so you are in vacation destination, right? <laughs> yes, for me it's at home. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. So where do you do vacations then? Somewhere where it's cold and ugly, I guess, right? Well, I do vacations at home, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, this is perfect. Yeah. Yes. Okay, what you did with the computer? You just played games or? Yeah, when I was very little. I was seven years old, something like that, eight years old. So I was playing video games, yeah. You're perfect. MS, MS-DOS Terminal. I, I remember a black terminal, I guess it was MS-DOS uh, OS in there. Yeah, yeah, it had to be. Okay, and, and what was the transition to... At least scripting, you know, creating an auto batch file or whatever. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't understand anything at that age, to be honest. I just called my father to load the game and play mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, but what you did later? I mean, in one point of time, you started to do something more yeah, interesting true. with computers. True, mm-hmm. true. So I wasn't actually into uh, computers um, because in my when I was a little and when I was a teenager, I was every time I was running. Mm-hmm. I was in an athletics team. Wow. Uh, so I only had time for, you know, going to the school in the morning and going running in the in the afternoon, evening. Yeah, so it was actually when I transitioned to the university, when I started programming and getting to computers. Yeah. Uh, which kind of running? Was it like, you know, uh, sprints or? Uh, long distance running. I was actually running uh, cross country. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. How fast you were, let's say in 10K, uh, 10 kilometers? Not cross country uh, rather than, let's say, you know, how to call it on flat and normal. So I'm just in the curious. So how fast were your times? Yeah, I never ran officially 10K because depending on the age, you run like a distance. Uh, so mm-hmm. I I officially didn't time it, but I could run, I don't know, 340, 330 per K. So yeah, something Ooh, oh, like that. that is very good. And now yeah. you are even faster? No, <laughs> since <laughs> I started university, everything went down. Uh, okay. <laughs> I wish, I wish, no, no. <laughs> okay. So interesting. And was it fun for you or was it like pain, you know, this running? Because I can imagine, you know, this is like a painful, you know, sport. I actually like it. It's it's true that it's painful, especially long distances, right? But Mm -hmm. we start running by playing. Let's say we play a lot of games, you know. Um, We try different disciplines, uh, not just long distance, but also long jump, etc. I was very bad at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, we try many things. Yes, yes. Yeah, cool. Okay. And, and and you said you then you started at the university, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, which direction you choose? Yeah, so actually, um, I I didn't. It was computer science wasn't my first option, uh, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of you know not sure about what to do, mm-hmm. and my father, who has background in 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 computer science, encouraged me. Okay, let, you can try computer science for a while, and if you don't like it, you can change. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but. Computer was one of, in my in my list, let's say, but I was actually about to enter in the physics, uh, okay. computer, co- yeah, in the physics uh, studies in, instead. But yeah, I chose computer science, and since then I've been there. So, and you enjoyed that, or, or yeah, or, and when you enjoyed from from the beginning or a little bit later? Yeah, so for for me, you know, uh, it, I I I wasn't I didn't program before that, so for me, look writing something like hello world for me like oh wow i can do something and the computer can follow what i say uh, and i like that and we start we start with you know basic data structures algorithms you know these kind of things uh, os we start mm-hmm. uh, starting linux os mm-hmm. i quite like it uh, etc so i, I really enjoy it. um mm-hmm. yeah but i must say i i wasn't the typical student uh, to be honest um <laughs> It took me longer to finish because I was doing many things. I was you know, buying magazines of computing, of computer science, and try 
other things uh, in okay. my free time. Yeah. So you really enjoyed that. So I, I, I would, it sounds like you were even a better student because, you know, you wanted to learn more than actually required, right? It, well, yeah, for my teachers, I don't think I was a better student. <laughs> for myself, <laughs> personally, yes, because I was doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. And which programming language you learned first? I started learning Pascal. Yeah. Ah, okay. And I was running, uh, learning Pascal, actually programming Pascal for a, for a few years, I think three years um, mm-hmm. with Pascal. And then, well, we have courses and we switched C, C++, mm-hmm. assembly quite a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. 68K? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because it, back in, in Spain, we have, at that time, we have two choices in computer science. We have kind of more engineering-like mm-hmm. focus. Mm-hmm. And then we have other one is focused more on systems. Could mm-hmm. be, you know, more low level stuff. We study mm-hmm. compiler. I choose that one. And we mm-hmm. study compilers, uh, system design, chip design, etc. Architecture, microarchitecture. So it was a bit lower level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we started a bit of everything. So pretty much for from one year it was pretty much assembly code. <laughs> um, which I don't remember too much now. But yeah, the rest, uh, yeah, Pascal and yeah, C, C++, like for systems, um, programming, etc. Yeah. And you enjoyed uh, the assembly stuff? I, I, I did, actually. Yes, yes. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I also enjoyed that. But what I remember, the tooling was a little bit strange. What I really didn't like, that you need to know specific editor connected to the machine. So it was really hard to do something by yourself. So this was the one limitation that I remember. Okay, what happened after the study? So after your university? So what you did? Yeah, so I finished uh, the bachelor and then I started working uh, at the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an internship. Um, it was in the, how it's called, something like a research support office, something like this, in IT. Mm-hmm. So basically, oh, sorry. Basically, we, we had an office in the university and uh, researchers that need IT support, mm-hmm. uh, we provide that support. Could be um, pretty much... Everything you can imagine, from website development to cluster access, uh, tooling installation, user mm-hmm. management in a cluster. We have a what we call ourselves an HPC center, which actually is a cluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and we have OpenMP, MPI, all these libraries installed. So we some, sometimes we have to do some uh, training for them mm-hmm. uh, to get access or this how to access the tools, etc. Mm-hmm. And we also did some web development as well. Just. Sounds great. So HPC is a high high performance computing center, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's uh, interesting, right? Because if you if you have the p- possibility to learn, you know, whatever comes, it's never boring. You are forced to learn, and uh, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And okay, and what happened afterwards? So afterwards, well, I switched to another company. Uh, it was a public company. They also had a supercomputer. There was about the lo- the local government in Canary Island was about to buy some new supercomputer. So they were looking for people already in that area. Mm-hmm. to start running the tools. Uh, but I wasn't that long there because I wanted... So for myself, what I wanted to do was to, you know, leave Spain and do something out of Spain. Uh, you wanted to leave uh, get Canary Island, yeah, right? Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah, okay, this ex- is yeah. crap location to, to learn, right? This was your... I would like to go to ugly places like, you know, Germany. <laughs> <laughs> well, close. I moved to Switzerland. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. So I moved there. I got an internship at CERN at that time. Wow. Uh, Open Lab. Yes, yes. It was a great experience there. It was something mm-hmm. very different. Um, it was fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. I met a lot of people and yeah, new tools as well to learn. New models, new new, new uh, programming languages to learn, etc. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I was invited one to CERN to talk about Java. Uh, and uh, Java and MicroProfile and stuff. I, I don't know MicroProfile back then. But the funny story is... I usually spend my time, you know, in business applications. And I told them, okay, usually it's not a problem with the performance. You can do it this way. And and they afterwards they came to me and said, like, we would get, you know, a huge performance problems after when we follow, you know, your advice here. It's like, yeah, okay, I forgot you are not an enterprise, you know, <laughs> project. You are more like a high performance. So this was actually fun. But there were interesting people are working there, and it was really really interesting location. So Indeed, um, yeah. And and what you did, you you, you in, at CERN, which programming languages you choose, or what was your task? Yeah, so I was in the um, uh, I don't know if it's a department actually. Well, it's a small yeah. I don't know if it's actually called department. It was a section at CERN called Open Lab, okay. in which they communicate the actual research at CERN with companies mm-hmm. with industry. And I was w- working with Intel at, uh, at that mm-hmm. time, and we work 
on the GN, if I remember correctly, GN5 simulator. So this is a physics framework for um, particle detection and simulation. Uh -huh. And uh, it's based on the previous one, it's called GN4. And the GN5, what they wanted to do is to make use of new features, new hardware features, for example, vector units. Mm -hmm. And my task was to get one of the compilers based on C++ called Silk Plus. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, I don't think they, it exists anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, Silk Primary Model. Basically, you annotate C++, C++ code you know, with pragma annotations and say this code could be vectorizable. Okay. And you specify how. And, and vectorizable compile... means it will run on you know, on a graphic cards in a, in a parallel manner, right? So this was... Uh, well, for this compiler, uh, so GPGPU wasn't that big at that time. Okay. Uh, SIG Plus was generating code for vector instructions, so uh, SSC instructions on Intel processors mm -hmm. or AVX, AVX2, etc. Mm -hmm. Yes. So in one cycle, let's say in one clock cycle, hardware cycle, you get, for example, an addition of eight elements, uh, eight mm -hmm. floating point elements, something like this. Mm -hmm. And why you were so skilled with low-level programming? Because, it's your, you know, your trajectory is incredible. So you started at university, and after a few years of reading magazines, what you told me, right, with <laughs> lots of fun in Grand Canary Islands, you, you started at CERN, you know, to parallelize Intel instructions. So I would say... Uh, yeah, that, I think that was coincidence, to be honest. I didn't... I wasn't planning to do this. Um, okay. So if I go back to when you know, my first job, this internship at the university... Mm -hmm. Uh, at the time I was working in the afternoon, so I was working in the in the morning, and mm -hmm. in the afternoon I was studying the master. And for the master, you know, mm -hmm. you have to choose a project, like a master thesis, right? Mm -hmm. And I was planning to do operating systems. Uh was one professor there that I really like it. Uh, he was doing a distributed operating system from scratch, and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, well, this for learning must be amazing. But, well, I was in the first year of the master, so I wasn't worried about how to you no know, to choose that topic and talk to the professor mm -hmm. but in my job uh was my boss that was my compiler teacher and oh. at that time they were researching in a new compiler for mm -hmm. gpus mm -hmm. and he told me juan do you want to do i mean you have to do your thesis or master thesis mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if you have choose a project but i need people in compilers I said, mm -hmm. okay mm, i have never programmed on gpu so i have no idea okay Just join, you try, if you don't like it. <laughs> Since then, I have been using <laughs> Compiler for GPU. So it was a coincidence, right? Yeah, but how yeah. long you took to understand what's going on there? I mean, this was, uh, or, or was it uh, simple for you? Uh, no, it took, it, yeah, no, no, it took a bit of time, yes. So I start, I mean, I already did some courses in Compilers and primary, Parallel Primary Models. So it's not like going from scratch. Yeah, okay. But GPU was something totally different from scratch. So time to time, I mean, every week you learn something new. So it wasn't too much press about this because the task I was assigned to was mostly to fix or to provide functionality in the lexer and parser of the compiler. And then I was transitioning more into the runtime of the system. And you enjoyed yeah. the task. So you really felt, you know, the GPU stuff and parallelization is something interesting. Or yeah. were you forced to do that because in order to achieve uh, the master? <laughs> it, it, well, indeed, because when I was studying, mm -hmm. the magazines I was picking was for parallel computing. So I was uh -huh. curious because no one taught me before that that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I was interested, okay, I have two cores here. I want to use the two. Imagine, now we have 16, right? Or, or more. Uh, so yes, I was curious to see. And I started with OpenMP, which is the easiest one to choose. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was fun. This is actually a really nice story. Okay, so then, then you, it's a turn. Okay, makes sense. Then this Intel stuff was not too hard for you, right? So it was like, you know, the additional, I would say, it was like maybe you had to relearn something, but it was not from scratch learning, right? Yeah, I was familiarized a bit with the programming models, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. I For me, the big impact was to go from small scale organization to a big one, really, really big one. Um Mm -hmm. so at CERN, I remember every day was like maybe 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you don't, you don't see them all at, at once, <laughs> but you meet people every day. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, every day. Yes. And uh, I was working in that project. I was considered a student. I was a student, actually. It was an internship. And it was nice because so, so every month we have to do a report and we have these community you know, forums in which mm -hmm. we share with the other scientists at CERN how we are doing the approach we took, right? 
And I remember one talk like, okay, I have these results with this part of the, you know, the section of the code, and that's the performance we get. And in fact, we don't get performance. So one of the, uh, I remember, one of the, the person, one person in the audience took the code and emailed me in the next day, so 24 hours later, and said, Juan, I found the bug, the problem. Uh, that's the speed up you get. It's a lot of the speed. Okay, okay. so <laughs> it's a learning process. That was amazing to me. Like, oh my God, okay. Yeah, you, you learn every day. You learn every day, yes. I've got um, the, the CERN is uh, almost like a city, right? They have everything. So this is it, indeed, yeah. indeed. I was living inside. Yes, I was living inside. I had a bicycle. I remember to commute from my apartment, like it's like a yeah small apartment at CERN, to my uh, office. Yeah, yeah. And you enjoyed the time, so or, or it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good experience. It was actually summer in um, in Geneva, so yeah. weather was great. Okay, yeah. And then uh, autumn came and you left, right? You say, okay, no, not with me. There's too much rain. Yeah, well, actually, it was an internship, so it was a three month project. Um, yeah. And then I was looking for options. Um, so one of the options was well, I was applying to many things. Uh, one of the options was to do a PhD. So I moved to Scotland to do uh, to Edinburgh to do a PhD in computer science. Yes. But Scotland, this is a huge, you know, weather difference, right? Indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, okay, and which PhD? So, what was your title of your PhD? Oh, the exact title, you mean? So, it was about dynamic parallelization for no, to make use of hardware, uh, no, GPUs, FPGAs, etc., for mm-hmm. dynamic programming languages. I focus on Java and R. And this was your first uh, touch or fifth in occurrence with Java, or you did, you learned Java before? I learned Java before, actually, uh, at the university. My first touch with Java, I think, was. A course about concurrent programming, mm-hmm. something like this. Yes, and then we have a course for computing graphics, mm-hmm. and I choose Java. Yeah, I do like an OpenGL program in Java. OpenGL, yeah. okay. I thought Java 2D or whatever you did. Okay, mm. and uh, you you enjoyed Java because I know you you were skilled with assembly and C and. And Java was a completely different beast. So uh, you like Java or not? Uh, it, yes, indeed. So going from very low level, like Pascal, for example, we have to do all utilities, right? And then mm-hmm. we jump to C++. It's true that we can use utilities, especially the STI library. But then going to Java, that you have many things around. Yeah. Tooling, especially the IDE, debuggers. Like, oh, Which no. IDE you enjoyed back then, you know, remember? I was using, oh, I can't remember now. Eclipse? Eclipse, uh, yes, exactly. I was using Eclipse, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Time. Yeah. And so, so, uh, and your PhD was in Java then, right? Uh, yes. So what I did was to extend... Okay, let, let me give you a bit of a ground. So my PhD was funded by Oracle Labs. Okay. And Oracle, at the time, they initiate the official Graal. So they mm-hmm. fork the Graal compiler from the previous uh, compiler, was Maxim VM. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they create the, this Graal VM platform and they uh, funded PhDs. So my goal was to extend Graal, but instead of compiling for CPU architecture, for GPU architecture. Uh-huh. Yes. So it's something like we are doing now with Tornado, but it was previous. Uh, it's a previous project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, already Maxine. So do you know, did you know that the first iteration was called Maxwell? I didn't know this. Yeah. No, I, 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 it's, it's, everyone actually forgotten, but this was, of, of, I think, even announced at Java 1, and I had talked with James Gosling, and there was okay. the attempt to write... The Java in Java, and this was the project Maxwell, and I found that my my own blog post, an old one, but the link didn't work anymore, and then somehow from Maxwell, Maxine happened, which led to uh, to GraalVM, and this is now your story with the GPU. So your job was to pick GraalVM and compile to a GPU. Yeah. So to extend somehow GraalVM mm-hmm. to uh, to offload code for the GPU, yes. I, I took OpenCL as a low-level model to run on GPUs, yes. But this is this was, a, but this is a C task, more or less, right? So there was not a lot of Java going on, or you, you used Java well, to do it? The, because the Graal compiler is written in Java, mm-hmm. all compiler optimizations, transformations, etc., was written in Java. And okay. because the whole compiler also was written in Java, I took also the runtime to be implementing in Java. So everything was Java except a small section, Gen to provide JNI code to call the actual GPU drivers. But apart from yeah, that, but this is more like deployment, right? This was like exactly, a, okay. exactly, exactly. Yeah, cool. Okay, 
But uh, th- this is incredibly uh, interesting, right? Yeah, for me, yes. At the time, yes, yes. It didn't work, or it worked. It worked. Yes. Uh, for me, it was more interesting when I switched to R language mm-hmm. because it, for Java, since Java wasn't thought for parallelization from the beginning, its design. We have to provide an API. Okay, that's fine. I mean, people need to learn that API and then you can use a GPU. But when I switched to the R language, so at that point, I was thinking, okay, because everything is implementing in Java and this Truffle framework is an mm-hmm. implementation, it allows us to you know, implement language on top of Graal to use the Graal compiler. Uh, I took the R language to not, co- not extend the language by mm-hmm. We only use the existing primitive in the language to offload code. So mm-hmm. you as like as a programmer, we are writing like a standard R code, mm-hmm. but underneath is offloading code to the GPU. And for the case of the R language, because the basic primitive of R is, ta- is vector type, is a good match for the GPU workload. Mm-hmm. So we can get really good speed ups if the workload I mean is is big enough. We can get good speed ups. Yeah. So what you're saying that R was ma- more like one-to-one mapping between R concepts and the GPU concepts, right? So this was easier for you. Well, uh, it's not exactly one-to-one mapping. There are a lot of differences yeah. uh, to take. You know, but because the basic type is a vector type, mm-hmm. um, it was easier to justify going to the GPU. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we have to do a lot of analysis. So GPUs are good for you know exploiting data parallelization, but if you mm-hmm. don't have enough compute or enough data to process, even if the compute fits for the GPU compute, maybe you don't get acceleration, right? Ah, um, because because the overhead, uh, you know, submitting all the stuff is maybe higher than the actual work, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So GPUs usually don't share memory with the main system, with the main mm-hmm. CPU. So that means that buffers data needs to be pre-allocated before launching. So data mm-hmm. has to be pre-allocated. Data has to be moved from the CPU memory to mm-hmm. the GPU. That happens mm-hmm. through PCI Express, which is very slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, very slow if we compare the bandwidth you get yeah. within the GPU, right? Mm-hmm. And then do the computation. So if you're running a couple of threads, stay in the CPU because you're gonna get faster. I mean, it doesn't doesn't. It's a trade-off, right? Okay, it's, it's not worth it. And you use the uh, byte buffer, memory back, uh, back buffer to to move the data around, or so for that project for my PSD, I use direct memory. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's even really interesting. So, what what would be the ideal? algorithm which runs on Java to be parallelized on GPU. So you'd say, okay, if you have a such kind of algorithm, it's just perfect to use your PhD. So what would it be? So uh, accelerators are designed for specific workloads in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of GPUs, GPUs were designed originally for rendering pictures yeah. on the screen as fast as possible. Yeah. Because of the design, they have to compute big amount of data, right? Mm-hmm. In a short period of time. Uh, and those operations usually are matrix types. So mm-hmm. if you have matrix operations that they are, can be parallelizable, like they don't have data dependency across iterations, for example, it's a perfect case for GPUs. I can give an example. Many applications now in deep learning follow this pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, deep learning, fintech, computer vision, these kind of things. Uh, yeah. Encryption, I could also imagine, right? Encryption, this yeah. Matrix multiplication. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So uh, metrics means, uh, also vector means you have like three values, right? This is the data type. There are three values and they are, and they are calculated with other three values or can be multiple values. Uh, you mean a two, 1D, 2D or 3D? Uh, no, I mean, uh, you say vector data type. What do you mm-hmm. mean by vector data type? Okay, it's a set of numbers, for example. A set of numbers to... enough. Okay. Yeah, yeah. By the way... Uh, an array could be 1D array, could be 2D matrix or 3D. Okay, I thought they are proper, you know, vector like a 3D vector space would be the best. But Well, those programming models, CUDA, OpenCL, that are used for programming GPUs at very low level, C++ mm-hmm. extensions for programming mm-hmm. GPUs, these models provide types that are called vector types. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's like similar to vector instructions for CPUs, so AVX instructions, something mm-hmm. like this, but in the vector space. Mm-hmm. Um, those, types are, those types don't exist for the Java side, Mm-hmm. What we do, especially now in my work, we provide kind of a class that gives you access to the you know, Java type that gives you access to those types. 
Mm-hmm. But in general, what I mean now by type by this vector type is just a list of elements, like a, a, a Java arrays, for example. Java array. So the native mm-hmm. arrays, not the Java util list arrays, rather than you know the yeah low level native Java array. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even more interesting. So I'm now curious. Okay, what happened after your PhD? So it was successful. So Oracle were was happy or uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I oh, okay. My PhD. Yes. You don't know. So they want, you should get feedback from Oracle. Say, hey, this. Yeah, I got feedback. Yes, yes. But at that time, they weren't into the GPU compute that much. Uh, at least from the perspective of fully automatic process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the PSD, within in the period that I did the PSD, I did an, an internship in Oracle. Um, I moved to Austria with the Graal team. Is Linz. Linz, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and I was working with the Truffle compiler for mm-hmm. R. Um, mm-hmm. That's when- why I got the R. The truffle. When was it? Which year? Uh, 2015. Yes. Oh, okay. It's not that f- far, far, far back. Okay, interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, t- 2015. I spent there like six months, um, mm-hmm. and I did an implementation of uh, fast R with um, distributed computing. So the idea. I don't know. Are you familiar with um, Flink Apache Flink? It's yeah. a framework for you know data processing, big mm-hmm. data and stream mm-hmm. processing. So the idea was to take uh, R code and because it's a framework, the basic type is vector to do processing in a cluster in a, mm-hmm. as transparent as possible. So we, I started implementation, then another student picked up the implementation. And that gave me background in the truffle side and the fling side. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is important because when I finished my PhD, uh, I was I joined Manchester at uh, the University of Manchester as a postdoc, mm-hmm. and the reason I joined is because they started a project that they wanted to combine a graph compiler for GPUs and a distributed system with Flink. I said, ah. mm. so yeah, I, and I joined them. Yes. Okay, and, and now you're still there. I'm still in Manchester. Correct. Yes. Okay. Also a little bit, you know, different uh, climate to <laughs> to Canary <laughs> Island, right? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, and okay, and what you what you did then? I mean, or, or what are you doing there? Yeah, so how it started uh, and where where are you now? So this is this is the interesting. Yeah, thing. well, actually, how I joined is, is kind of yeah a nice story. So uh, I remember you know in the, in the PSD you have to publish papers. I had my last pa- my last paper for the PSD. So we traveled for the conference. I traveled for the conference, and the typical thing is because we are finishing. I say, hey, I'm finishing here doing the presentation. I'm looking for a job. If you mm-hmm. have something available, please consider my, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my CV. So my current boss uh, told me, well, I'm starting a project in Manchester, but I didn't want to do uh, a postdoc. I, I, I didn't want to stay in academia, to be honest. <laughs> and he said, well, we are starting a new project. Uh, you will be leading the compiler part. This is related to this. So everything was suddenly like, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. So I joined them. <laughs> Okay. And since then, I have been uh, with them uh, in Manchester. Yeah. But why they started the project? So, was a student before me doing similar things to my PSD. So, he took Graal and extended to run on GPUs. So, basically, it was kind of my competitor during mm-hmm. my PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked on the same area. My programming model was something different. He took a different approach. And the project was getting bigger because he was funded by a ex- big project in, in UK, mm-hmm. a lot of use cases, etc. So it became kind of big. So uh, my boss wrote a proposal mm-hmm. for a European project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are finished already, but it was running until last year, called E2Data. Basically, what we did was to take use cases from big data and try to accelerate with GPUs in an automatic manner. Mm-hmm. And we focus on the Java side. So basically, that's why we took Flink as a use case and then we built use cases on top of that software stack. And the idea for us was to get an unmodified Flink program mm-hmm. that can run in a transparent manner on GPUs and FPGAs. Mm-hmm. So that really hooked me in because I was I didn't use FPGAs before. I, this is something that I wanted to learn as well. Uh, it was a bigger project. It was actually use cases for that. It was a bigger team, etc. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Are you using FPGAs right now? Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, how you can imagine uh, which which companies are providing these FPGAs and uh, w- what kind of hardware is it and how it looks like? 
More, yeah, more. well, it's just a, a car, like a PCI Express car, like slot. It okay. looks similar to a GPU. Well, okay. not GPUs these days, like a, a more massive, yeah. very small, uh, smaller ones. But yeah, it's like a car that is attached to your PCI Express in your machine. Yeah. And uh, the, yeah, the, the vendors right now, well, I don't know all of the vendors because I'm not yeah. into that area, but we use two. We use from Silinx, so nice AMD provider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Intel. So we have an Altera. Altera is a company that uh, was bought by Intel a few years ago. So we have Intel FPGAs and Silinx FPGAs. I think these are the two main vendors from my understanding. But, but it could Al- be more. Eh? So. Al- Altera is also building, I think, ARM CPUs, right? No? I have no idea. Okay, so I have to look it up. <laughs> so I just... Okay. Yeah. And and you have to flash them before. So there's some kind of tooling, mm-hmm. right? So this is a Linux toolchain on how, how it works. Yes. Um, I think pretty much it's based on Linux toolchain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to flash it before. So the way it works is that we create a mapping, you know, all these wires. Uh, it's like an FPGA is like having a physical algorithm, essentially. Yeah. You are wiring your algorithm mm-hmm. with the parts that you only need. Mm-hmm. So this process takes a long time, uh, probably hours, two or three, four hours. Okay. Uh, we flash it, we create the final binary, it's called the bit stream. And then once you want to use it, you load the bit stream. Loading is fast. I'm talking mm-hmm. about milliseconds, probably faster. And you load that bit stream with a circuit that you, you want to run. Okay. And in which language do you have to write the algorithm? Usually it's very low level, like RTL, basic logic gate level. And there's also VHDL, very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's C tooling uh, as well. Uh, and more recently, you can run it with OpenCL, which is great because OpenCL is also used for GPUs. So having the same source that you could use is is great. It gives you port, it gives you code portability, yeah. not performance portability. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah. but it will be interesting. Another student project, you know, to pick Java uh, algorithm and translate it to the to this low level language could also be interesting, right? Uh, to be HDL, you mean, or very low. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed, yes. Yeah. yeah, you have to motivate your students now, you know. So <laughs> this would be actually a great project. This would be a, another thing. Yeah, so uh, we kind of drop a bit. I mean, we still can run on FPGAs, but we kind of drop the idea because getting performance from OpenCL for FPGAs is extremely hard. Mm-hmm. You have to tune a lot your code. Uh, in fact, now we also use FPGAs for the Tornovian framework. Mm-hmm. We have a specialized set of compiler optimizations just for increasing performance on the FPGA. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, fine-tune the loop and roller, things like that, or loop fusion, so you have two nested loops and then you combining in one, let's say. Uh, add annotations in the, in the OpenCL code. It kind of start breaking a bit the OpenCL. You have to be specific with the vendor um, Mm-hmm. Annotations that yeah the FPGA that you have at the moment. So 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 you still stick with GPUs or you know your interests. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yes. I still uh, so because this project, the one I was looking the the one I was mentioning the E2 Data EU project, picked this Tornado VM initial version of Tornado VM with the students. So we continue the development and expand. So we increase with more compiler backends with more. Uh, devices, so we extend with FPGA workflow, for example. We can run on different architectures, ARM, RIGS-5, simulators, uh, etc. Yeah. Okay, so the Tornado VM was the project of your competitor, and you joined that, right? Yeah, you can see, yeah. Yeah. That way, yes. <laughs> okay, and, and, and you still like it? I mean, still like it, you obviously like it, So, but uh, you, you like the entire project, this Tornado VM? So, or... Yeah, that... I, I do like it. Yes, yes. There are many things to do. Um, it's, for me, it's not just a platform just to, you know, to say, hey, look how cool is this technology. It's a platform that can also be used for research your ideas, to, to, you know, to implement your ideas. Uh, and that's the interest from, from Manchester's side. Um, yeah, so, so I'm a Java developer, so uh, um, don't use GPUs a lot, but uh, I'm running you know, workloads in the cloud, serverless, uh, enterprise apps. I write Java all the time. So how Tornado VM could be interesting for me? You know, some use case, I could use it. Um, I, I can run my workload on ARM. I could, you know, I could translate algorithms or whatever makes sense. Yeah, that's a great question. And we are actually looking for use cases because they, 
usual Java programmer is not the GPU programmer. So yeah. the people that or developers that want GPUs, they are willing, really willing to change the code to adapt to CUDA or OpenCL and change pretty much everything, right? So for Java, what we're trying to do is to provide, as far as we can, transparent acceleration. So with minor modifications in the code, we mm-hmm. want to make use of something that is sitting in your laptop or in your server that they are not using at that mm-hmm. time and could be useful. One of the workloads, for example, machine learning applications, fintech that use a lot of Java code, I'm pretty sure they have to say, uh, indeed, they are using FPGAs. Uh, they, 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 they want acceleration as well. Uh, we're running now one of the new projects. It's called Aero, it's an EU project. And there's a one company from Switzerland is involved. It's called Sednight, this company. It's a spin-off from the European Space Agency. Okay, what is the name of the company? Sednight. Sednight. Yes, Sednight, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, in combination with the University of Geneva, mm-hmm. uh, they have uh, a very large tooling for data analytics of the Gaia project. So the Gaia is the, uh, the uh, mission... Cloud. Sorry? No, is it not the Gaia X? Is not the European cloud? The well, this is the project for the European Space Agency to collect data from. Basically, what they want to do is to do a three D model of the uh-huh. space, ah, okay. and they have the data that they that they need to analyze, and pretty much the whole tool chain is in Java. They have a lot of code, a lot of and a lot of data. So for them, having transparent acceleration from the Java side is a big win for them. Um, so that's one of the other use cases, astrophysics. Um, mm-hmm. could be, yeah. Um, what I did on Airhex, there is DeepNet. Are you aware of it? Indeed, yeah. We collaborate with, with Soran. Yeah, yeah Soran, uh, really. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is what I wanted to ask you about, about, about him. Yeah, we, we wrote a paper together like a couple of years ago. The goal was to how to mix, so how to integrate Tornado with mm-hmm. DeepNets. Mm-hmm. And have trans- transparent acceleration. Yes. And that's a, that's a, well, we got it. Uh, we have overheads because of the data transfer back and forth, but the mm-hmm. kernel itself uh, handles speed up. Yes. So, what it means if we use a DeepNet's library from, from, from Zoran, uh, uh, Tornado VM can help me to speed up the entire process, right? Yeah, Tornado VM will sit underneath, so from the end user perspective. Maybe you shouldn't notice that Tornado yeah. VM is there. It's like a middleman framework, mm-hmm. if, if you like. It's sitting in between. Uh, so for Soran that is implementing the framework, he doesn't have to go down to CUDA, OpenCL, etc. Mm-hmm. He can get those kernels directly from Tornado VM. Mm-hmm. So now question, because you mentioned you know, deep learning and what I noticed that there's a lot of Python going on and I always wondered, you know, Python is great, but it's way slower and consumes a lot of energy. I don't know whether you are um, familiar with the recent you know, paper that Java is uh, pretty fast as a number five, is a very energy efficient and fast language. After C, C++, Rust and other Java comes. So do you see some movement towards Java in machine learning? Or, uh, or is it beneficial at all? Would it be beneficial at all to use, for instance, Java for machine learning instead of Python? So if you really, you know, do it right, use Tornado VM, we have the GPU, FPGA, what would be the difference between, you know, Python, yeah, the, the same stuff in Python and Java? That's a great question. Uh, in fact, we have been trying to understand the landscape um, mm-hmm. because Tornado, apart from being academic, we're trying to transition you know, to, to spin out. Uh, so we're trying to understand how people, how developers work. Mm-hmm. What we have seen is that Many developers or many companies, enterprises, they use Java for getting the data, you know, maybe it's a big database in SQL or whatever framework. And then for the ML part or the deep learning part, they go to Python. So they go, because it gives you tooling, easy tooling and easy access to this massive um, parallel hardware. And then they go back to Java. So I believe, but this is just my opinion, okay, feel free to disagree. I believe that having everything in Java and you, know, you don't have to you know, switch programming languages or environments, etc., is a huge benefit. I don't see that coming soon because I think there are a lot of code written in Python to use, for example, PyTorch or TensorFlow, these kind of tools. But 
for new projects, it might be a viable option um, because everything everything could be in Java and you can get better or well equal or, or better performance because of the reasons you mentioned. Yeah, uh, I also uh, this is also coincident. So I. Sp- if I go to conferences, I take the opportunity to talk to data scientists and I ask them about that. So why are they using Python, whatever? And um, many data scientists, they just don't care about the data structures and, you know, the software engineering. They would like just, you know, to, to get the data fast. And and they use Python to do whatever necessary to get the data and they are happy. So this is, a, and this is I think, the, why they use Python because uh, to my understanding, the Python is the glue between, you know, some, some some glue code and C because uh, very soon they go to C to perform the scientific operations, but um, there's also some overhead between Python and C codes, right? So, but if we would do this in Java, everything. So not always only we get this optimization, but uh, even you know what you said right now, the machine learning part mm-hmm. and the business part could be better optimized together. And uh, my feeling is there is. The, the, the performance could be orders of magnitude higher, actually. And uh, I think it can be very successful because, um, yeah, a funny story. So uh, the last two years, um, and okay, so um, I, I repeated this on the podcast, but uh, long story short, it was a meeting and uh, and uh, I actually coded a bit but um, the um, in, in the project. But uh, I was at the end of the meeting, and you know the, the entire code was already uh, already technology was already introduced, and I just made fun and it said okay, and we also are green, and uh, green IT, and you know we are serverless and CO two looks good, and my statement did the biggest impact <laughs> in the meeting <laughs> as okay. fun. It was never meant you know to be serious, but this is what people remembered, and um, short after. It was uh, a, a workshop, internal workshop, where I asked the attendees what I usually do, what they are the most interested in, and the answer was green IT. And I say, why everyone talks about green IT? And I found the answer uh, two weeks ago, actually, a few weeks ago, and it turns out that next year in Germany, there's a German law. There is a German law. It's called like, uh, I forgot even in German, is it strange? It's like... Lieferkettengesetz or something like this. It is way too short. The word is LKSG or something, where companies which have more than 1,000 employees are forced to show, you know, the the uh, environmental oh. impact okay. and the entire CO2 chain of consumption. And this is why I got so many questions regarding green IT CO2 because I said, okay, what's going on? Everyone is interested in CO2 and, and Java is good and is memory, mem- uh, energy efficient. So I would say for you, it's also good to know because I you know Germany is huge and I already found you know an SAP paper on it. So management is aware. And I think next year there will be many projects which we'll have to show, you know, is your code energy efficient because of the law? They have to say something. And um, as I remember, in the paper, scientific paper, Java was 35 times more energy efficient than Python, something around that. Oh, so wow. it, uh, it was, a, yeah, I, I, will, I will send you the link afterwards. Yeah. So, um, and this is a very, uh, these are the recent news. So I think uh, that there is something, in this would be a business case, actually. And not only business case from the point you know, of view uh, uh, of the law, it is also a big, you know, marketing case for for companies to say, look, we also, you know, take a look at environment. And of course, uh, the 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 summary of the study is um, it was uh, energy efficiency, uh, performance, and memory. And energy efficiency and performance there was a match one to one. So Java was still under the f- first five. So it was like C, C Rust, and Ada, or something like this. And Java was the fifth. Memory efficiency was Java really bad. So, uh, I mean, bad, it was not at the top because it's virtual machine language, but it could be solved with Tornado VM, I hope, or Graal VM, because with Graal VM, it solves completely. It is just a small or a little larger. Panama, Panama API. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this is actually uh, could help you, you know, to, to, to find 
uh, you know, uh, uh, a means to to continue the project because uh, it's this LKS key. So search, you know, for German law. Uh, it comes April April next year, so it is around around the corner. Okay, good to know. I didn't know this. So yeah, I also yeah, not. I just was curious. <laughs> I asked a manager why you talked the entire time about green IT. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, wait a sec. I it is called Lieferkettengesetz. Uh, and um, it is, has to do something with social and environment at the same time. This is LKSG, SAP. I will find it. Yeah, that's a good point because having a powerful system with GPUs, for example, overall, if you send enough compute, the equivalent resources, right, you will waste more energy, not just because you the compute, but also you need to provide air conditioning probably to that system. And then you have a small factor on the GPU that can give you similar performance. So yeah, that's a way to get fast, uh, less energy consumption. So the name of the law I can give you right now is Lieferketten Sorgfalt Pflichtengesetz. Lieferketten Sorgfalt Pflichtengesetz LKSG. <laughs> and I send you via email or, or Discord. So uh, this is what it is, LKSG, and uh, yeah, it's in the mind of, of uh, lots of you know uh, managers. And I'm on the SAP website, which you know SAP is a huge so, and they uh, and they already uh, promoting that they can you know uh, w which solutions do you have you know to document everything. And um, what I also noticed um, is could be interesting to you, but I don't know how well Tornado VM fits into this. Um, Company went, you know, to the cloud without caring about the costs because they get lots of free credits and whatever. And now it's no. What happens, you know, the the credits are spent, and now they have to pay. And uh, what happens is, you no, know, such, you know, lift and shift solutions like Kubernetes are sometimes too expensive, and they search, you know, for for different ways of running it. And and what I do a lot, I use serverless, which also is very good per accident, you know, for the LKSG law. So and it's also a nice niche because if the serverless solution is faster. The companies are pay less, and because it is faster, it also consumes less energy. This is the cool. So we have match between business and environment, you know, which is also nice in this because you can do something good and spend less money, which is a double good and also good for for marketing. So I think you are in good situation if you, if we could find you know something and AWS lambdas and so forth. I think and Fargate as well. There's possibilities to attach you know GPU to it or it will be soon. So it will be interesting. So on that note. Um, is Tornado VM similar to GraalVM? Is this based on GraalVM? So what is it? So we use the GraalVM, just the compiler, the JIT compiler, the just-in-time compiler. Mm -hmm. The rest, uh, Tornado is just a plugin to any OpenJDK. Okay. Uh, we use, we can use OpenJDK, we can use um, Azul, Zulu mm -hmm. is called. Azul, we can use yeah. Correto, Amazon Correto, or Red Hat Mandrel, which is also a fork of GraalVM, etc. Windows JDK as well. It's just a... At the system level, it's like a is for, for for the Java VM. Tornado is just another Java program. The thing is that Java program can compile and manage the application on heterogeneous platforms. That's the special thing. Yeah, the the only part that we use from Graal right now is the Graal JIT. Mm -hmm. However, we can also use Truffle, and you can write your programs in 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 Java and call it from R or Ruby or any other language. In fact, I we have demos. In Node.js, in the web browser, yeah. you type it, and then because it's running with Truffle framework, the rendering, we have a compute-intensive image to process, like thing I put it, the Mandelbrot, something like that, the Mandelbrot cool. sets, and it renders in milliseconds, yeah, okay. compared to, to Java that renders in, I think, 20 seconds, something like that. But there's another actual use case you, you mentioned right now, is uh, Truffle is like cross-language, common, how to call it, Data model or what? How you call it? Is well, like, Truffle, I call it a polyglot. Yeah, uh, polyglot. But it's like a meta meta type framework, so you can call from Python to Java and from Java to Node.js. It's like a yes. common app. Yeah. But uh, the cool story is you could actually run Python programs on GraalVM and communicate with Java, which uses Tornado VM. So we could actually, you know, uh, migrate existing Python learn, uh, workloads on on Truffle and GraalVM. And speed up the entire thing because uh, it, the entire thing could be even natively compiled, right? That's correct. That's correct. Yesterday I did a demo for another talk. Uh, I, I use JavaScript, but it could be just also uh, uh, Python. Yes. It would be interesting, actually, experiment to talk, you know, with a Python scientist or data scientist which uses uh, Python 
to uh, you know to to write some Python code and then run it in your environment and see whether it fits because then we have the use case, you know. Yes, indeed. So what we what we have seen is that developers that use Python, well, first of all. It's, it's not really Python, let's say, that using like Python as a scripting language because all the GPU utilities or acceleration utilities is native code, mm-hmm. right? They jump directly to CUDA code. For example, PyTorch, the actual tensor representation is not even in a Python heap. It's actually native memory. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in our case in Tornado, we use the Java primitive array, which resides on the Java heap, although we are changing this model. I can mm-hmm. explain later. Uh, but it's exactly that. So the performance you're going to get is close to native because everything is written in a native language, CUDA probably, mm-hmm. or OpenCL, or one API, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So for Tornado, it's kind of a disadvantage at that level because we generate code from Java Sequencer. So it's a full JIT. Pretty much that how it works, the JVM with, you no, know, after a while, you can the JVM compiles the hotspot, the hot methods down mm-hmm. to CPU machine code, efficient machine code. We do this something similar, but for the GPU. However, we are working an extension. It's still very early, mm-hmm. but we're working an extension to allow developers to use pre-existing libraries. And you can combine both JIT and library call. Mm-hmm. In the sense where, let's say, you have a workload, and f- the first part is data preparation or data initialization, whatever. You can do that in Java, and Tornado will compile it for you. The second call could be a native function. And you, the, the, the code that is written in, in Tornado is exactly on the same scope. So it's Tornado code that can handle both. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the ideal situation we're working on it. So hopefully more news on. Yeah, this is actually uh, great news, right? I mean, this will be make Java extremely interesting for, for, for data scientists. Yeah, so we're using Panama API to, mm-hmm. to access the low-level memory. Uh, also, f- from our side, we... We are we are go- we are moving we are transitioning so we're not using Java primitive types anymore. I still in the in the trunk in the development branch, still is is available, but it will not be for you know next year. The reason is that we have to manage all this memory, and the actual reason is not because we have to manage; it's because it takes time. Mm-hmm. So. The reason we want to use FG, GPUs, FPGAs, is because we want to accelerate the application. So if the time to manage is so long, then we don't use the FGPU accordingly, right? It's, the GPU acceleration is off, is over, right? Yeah. So what we do is to have types that reside in native part. Everything will handle under the Tornado VM runtime. And those types could be in shared memory between the GPU and the CPU, or could be pin memory, so uh, DMA access is uh, directly, basically, using the DMA access between the GPU and the CPU, and so on and so forth. It, it allows us to do more things uh, closer mm-hmm. to the hardware. Yeah. On which uh, Java virtual machine uh, versions are you running, Tornado? So which? Uh, now we are using JDK 17. Uh-huh. Uh, other parts of other members of the team are using JDK 11. Okay. And Graal VM. Yes. And are you also planning to use then Loom, Project Loom? or uh, Loom is transparent for us uh, because yeah. the the, thread, the concept of Thread is still on the Java platform. Yeah, but uh, it will be beneficial. It could, it could be used within one of those Loom threads or many of those Loom threads, yes. For example, it could be beneficial to launch multiple kernels on the same GPU and mm-hmm. then you keep that GPU busy because the GPU is a big device. Mm-hmm. One of the research areas is how to keep the, that disk busy. Okay. So people try to coordinate you know, to have concurrency, multiple kernels running there, right? But you have to have enough meat to send. Uh, if you have multiple threads, could be Java threads or could be Loom threads, right? Mm-hmm. You can send all these commands to the GPU. And uh, do you have to have a GPU in order to be beneficial of Tornado VM? Or is, are there use cases where you could say, use Tornado VM and you don't need a GPU? Uh, well, that's actually a very interesting question. So it's true that in Tornado VM we focus on the GPU because it's the the device mm-hmm. that can give you most of the performance today with the current workloads like deep learning. But Tornovian can be used also for CPUs. Mm-hmm. So you don't need a GPU. You only need a C- an OpenCL. We go through the CPU to, through OpenCL. So you need the CPU runtime. That could be, for example, an Intel uh, uh, um, implementation for mm-hmm. your system. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we have seen Mm-hmm. faster code on CPU through Tornado compared to Java threads. Mm-hmm. That's because 
the code that is generated is easier to exploit the vector units of your CPU. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that both cannot use the same, but pretty sure both can use the same. But how we transform the code, because we use OpenCL underneath, mm -hmm. if, you have OpenCL, if you have OpenCL, it's pretty much a nice way to vectorize code because you know it access a different uh, consecutive item, data item. Because what you said earlier is that in the uh, in the vector programming case, there is uh, in independence is important. So what I can imagine, because you're generating OpenCL code, there is mm -hmm. a independent unit which can be easier parallelized, right? Is it maybe the with less contention? Yes. Yeah, so OpenCL, you focus on the work, the actual compute to be done per threads, and usually you launch thousands of threads. Okay. Right? On the CPU, we map it to the number of threads that your system can support, although you can launch more, mm -hmm. and the runtime will handle that in, for you. But in the case of Tornado, we map it to the to the actual number of cores that you, your mm -hmm. system has. And that code could be easier to explore vector units, let's say. Mm -hmm. AVX instructions, AVX2 instructions, SSC, FMA instructions that are very fast. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure from Java as well, but coming from a sequential code and having to generate these kind of um, instructions automatically is a hard problem. So, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which GPUs are you supporting? So, all of them or just specific? If if if, right. if, if I get a GPU, so I just install the GPU, can use it, or there are some you know specific requirements? So we support any device that supports either OpenCL mm -hmm. or CUDA mm -hmm. or SPV. Those are the backends of Tornado VM. Okay. OpenCL is a standard. It's maintained by Kronos Group. And Kronos is a consortium of many mm -hmm. companies and institutions. NVIDIA is there, Intel, Codeplay, mm -hmm. uh, AMD, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, the good thing is because it's a standard, if they comply, the implementations comply with this standard, they, that OpenCL should run. And that means we can run AMD GPUs, NVIDIA GPUs, uh, mm -hmm. ARM GPUs, and mm -hmm. so on. Yes, What about the GPU part. What about the Apple M1 and M2? Any, uh, no, any, mm -hmm. any research on that? Yeah, indeed, we can run it, yes. yes. And you, you, you tried that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually using a Mac M2. Actually, we had a demo a couple of weeks ago on M2. It's impressive, the performance. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a, good, it's a good GPU, by the way. If you if you compare you know, the Tornado VM performance on M2 Mac, comparing with, let's say, whatever you have on NVIDIA, whatever, how fast or how slow is it? <laughs> it's a complicated question. It depends. Yeah. It really depends on your hardware. So from my experience, but I might be wrong, eh? because yeah, I'm sure. just saying... Yeah, what I have seen. Yeah, I don't have date like you just know, feelings. Real just about yeah, feelings, thing. no numbers. M2. I have a, a Mac with M2, and I have a server with a 3070 Nvidia GPU 3070. Is it a good one? 3070. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. It's the previous generation. It's not the latest one. And how how expensive is such a thing, the Nvidia? So to, to give you so uh, roughly, it could be around. Now is the boom for, because of the learning. It could be around. $700 okay. to so 1000 depending on... Okay, yeah. okay. I got it in the price that was high, so I got it through Dell vendor like, to no, get no a problem. cheaper mm -hmm. option. But it's around that price. It's, yeah, let's say $1,700, yeah. something like this. Uh, so the M2 doesn't perform as good as that one. Mm -hmm. My feeling is that it's around 3060, so one mm -hmm. uh, model behind that. It's around that, um, that GPU. Yes. Yeah, but it's still laptop, right? You, we are comparing laptop exactly. With exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Hey, it was nice chat. Uh, what 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 may be interesting is uh, it's this project has really future. I would say bright future because it could change, you know, data science in Java. I would say it, right. So how we think about uh, um, machine learning, deep learning, which is now very interesting, you know, and do it with Java, save you no know, costs and improve performance and time to market. So um, maybe. How you know listeners of the podcast could contribute? You 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 are you are you are uh, you would like to have contributions and how we can help you? Yes, indeed. So Tornado is fully is open source. It's mm -hmm. available on GitHub. Contributions are open. Although I must say that we are pending from one paper from the university. It's not up to us. Mm -hmm. For us, it's, I mean, everything should be ready. So we are waiting for the university to release this contributor agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have contribution in the past, especially everything that comes to our team because we are under the University of uh, Manchester. Uh, those are contributions that are already mm -hmm. there. 
But yes, in general, yes. So the paperwork I have been told should be ready soon. So as soon as this paper is out, anyone can contribute. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for contributions in many places, like documentation, use cases. I believe that use cases is more appealing for people. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, documentation, use cases, new compilation phases, you are in the compiler part. So they um, could just check yeah. out Tornado VM and give you feedback, right? It would be also interesting. Correct. So yes. if you if you ever know like an issue page or GitHub, it's like I run it on this machine and did this and it was fast or not. This would be like gallery would also interesting contribution, right? Yes, yes. So we have been changing quite a lot of API, especially the last the latest two releases, uh, and we gathering feedback. So we change the API based on what we think we should go. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean what people expect uh, or what people or what developers expect how to use it, right? The tool. Mm -hmm. So for us, I mean, any feedback is, is, is gold for us. I mean, yeah, yeah. So we are we are very open to to talk to people. Indeed, many, some of the features we have been added to those features because of um, feedback from the community. Mm -hmm. Very good, Juan. Uh, where people can find you on the internet and the uh, and Tornado VM, and of course, I will put everything to the show notes. But no. Yeah, so TornadoVM can be found in, on GitHub. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a TornadoVM uh, uh, address. I think it's under the Beehive group, which mm -hmm. is my group in the, our group uh, at the University of Manchester. Mm -hmm. And for myself, well, uh, an email uh, is also in my website or via Twitter. I'm very active uh, in Twitter or LinkedIn directly, yes. Okay, thank you. And um, I would really like to re-invite you back and see you know, how your Tornado VM is going and whether you achieved the goal. And maybe there will be you know, some additional use cases regarding you know, Python versus, or versus Python and Java on, on Tornado VM, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. <laughs>